0: Psalm 72, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him, for he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may the gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made continually, may prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This is the very word of God.
1: Well, last week was our annual Global Focus Sunday, which we have for several years now observed the first or second Sunday of every new year. So this week and next week, we will turn our attention to two other topics which we often consider the two Sundays after Global Focus. These two issues are controversial issues, as you know, in our day. They are racial reconciliation and the issue of the sanctity of human life. These two issues are not only related to one another, but this morning I want to suggest to you that these two issues are also very much related to what we discussed last week God's global mission. And yet, not everyone sees that connection. There are many passages that we might turn to in order to see the connection between God's global mission and the issue of racial disparity and racial reconciliation. Several months ago, in my Bible reading, I came across the 72nd Psalm and made a note to myself to come back to it on this particular Sunday. Because I think this Psalm can help us see the connection between racial reconciliation and the global mission of God. You see, this particular psalm, you probably picked up on it, is what many commentators refer to as a royal psalm. It's a prayer for the reigning king of Israel. It's a prayer asking God to do through this king what God himself would want done as the true and ultimate king of the world It is, in other words, an anticipation of what the world might look like were God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. In such a kingdom, there would be the offer of peace, peace with God, an offer of peace with God for everyone, as well as the delivering of peace between all the ethnicities of the earth. Many times we speak about the importance of the gospel. We must necessarily preach the gospel, but the word gospel simply means good news and it demands more explanation. It demands an object, the good news of what? And Jesus regularly proclaimed while he lived on the earth, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of God. When God takes over and rules and reigns, there is the offer of peace with God for everyone and the delivering of peace between all the ethnicities of the earth. But of course, all of this comes down and depends upon who sits on the throne, who is the true king. This morning, as we look at the kingdom of God through the 72nd Psalm, I want to remind us all that the kingdom of God throughout the Bible is a kingdom of first unprecedented peace. The kingdom of God throughout the Bible is promised to be the desire of all the nations. And it is the kingdom of God made explicit in the New Testament that is to give direction to our lives. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of unprecedented peace. The kingdom of God is the desire of all the nations. And the kingdom of God gives direction for every aspect of our lives. So first, the kingdom of God promised throughout the Bible is a kingdom of unprecedented peace. Peace with God for everyone as well as the delivering of peace between all the ethnicities, all the peoples of the world. As we read the 72nd Psalm and we notice this inauguration of the king that is now underway, there is the anticipation of just what might come to pass now that there is a new king who reigns on the throne. So look with me, if you will, at the first seven verses of the 72nd Psalm. In these first seven verses, you will notice those words that describe the hope for what the citizens of this particular kingdom might well experience under the reign of this king. With an inauguration comes an anticipation that maybe things will get better. And look at the words that we find here in the first seven verses. Words like justice, righteousness, prosperity, deliverance, flourishing, With every new king, there is the hope or the anticipation that maybe, just maybe, the world will now run better than it was under the reign of the last guy who sat on the throne, or if you'd rather, in the White House. Now, notice this psalm has as its as its inscription. We don't usually do this much when we read our English Bibles. But in the Psalms, you'll notice there's these inscriptions that many of them have, and more than likely, they are uh, original to the original text. This particular Psalm, along with Psalm 127, the only two Psalms that come with the inscription with the name Solomon attached to it, they're more than likely either written about him or perhaps even by him. Now, come on, you... Christians who grew up in Sunday school, tell me a little bit about Solomon and his rule. You surely know that Solomon, of course, took the throne with divinely given wisdom. You may also know that Solomon's very name means peace. And that's a good way of summarizing the administration of Solomon, at least for a while. We are told in 1 Kings chapter 4, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations." Solomon's wisdom, the Bible makes clear, was God-given, and Israel reached the height of its prosperity under his rule. The queen of Sheba observed about him in 1 Kings chapter 10, "'Happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom.'" Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king so that you may execute justice and righteousness. Now, just take a step back for a moment. When you have international dignitaries saying, you know what? You've got something really good going on here. This is as good as it could possibly get. That sounds about as close to some utopian vision as you might possibly imagine when even all the other nation, national dignitaries are coming and saying, this one right here is just how it ought to be. In other words, during the reign of Solomon, we catch a glimpse, a picture of what the world might look like were it put right again? A picture of peace on earth that even the nations recognized. Too bad it didn't last. Solomon's reign of peace was not cut short was not cut short by his untimely death, but as you know, by his own moral demise. First Kings chapter eleven says. His heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. This kingdom of peace would soon crumble, and the nation of Israel would be forever divided, never again reaching the height of this kind of prosperity. But Solomon's reign does suggest that things really could be different in this world. And Psalm 72 anticipates the arrival of a king who was like Solomon, but even better. It is, in that sense, a messianic psalm. It's not explicitly said to be so, but even Jewish commentators recognized the messianic implications. And then, when we read our New Testaments, we find Jesus making a startling claim In Luke 11, verse 31, this is what Jesus said. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, what? notice that Jesus didn't say someone better than Solomon is here. He could have said that. He said something greater than Solomon is here. What was this thing that was better than Solomon? Jesus is here speaking, as he regularly did, about the arrival of the long-awaited kingdom of God. The queen of Sheba recognized the greatness of Solomon's kingdom and the blessing it must be to live in a kingdom like that. She traveled all the way up to see for herself what she had heard in her own land. And she would stand, Jesus said, as a kind of judge over those who just can't seem to recognize the blessing of living in an even greater kingdom that had now arrived. Now, as Christians, we recognize that Jesus is the Messiah anticipated in Psalm 72. We believe him when he says that he has brought with him a kingdom greater than the kingdom of Solomon. Or at least we better believe that or we stand judged by the queen of Sheba. You see, the problem for many of us is that we were raised in a theological environment that teaches that the kingdom of God was put on hold and must wait for the second coming of Jesus. Friends, that simply is not right. And we must reorient our thinking under the much clearer vision that Jesus gives to us. Since Jesus has come, and inaugurated the long-awaited kingdom of God that Psalm 72 envisions, don't you see what that means? It means there is the hope. Indeed, we should say the expectation that there will be a kind of justice and righteousness and prosperity and deliverance and flourishing and peace that this psalm anticipates. Christians, Do not be judged by the queen of Sheba and fail to recognize the kingdom and the blessing of living in this kingdom. But if you do recognize it, then you must see that an issue like racial reconciliation is not incidental to the kingdom of God. We cannot just say, well, let's just stick with preaching the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, It is the announcement that there is now on offer to everyone who will believe peace with God and the delivering of peace between all the peoples, all the ethnicities of the earth. It's right at the heart of the gospel because it is the good news of the kingdom of God. So do you see yet the connection between God's global mission that we discussed last week and an issue like racial reconciliation? Well, let's read a little further in the psalm and see it even more clearly. In verses 8 to 14, we see that the anticipated kingdom is anticipated by all the nations of the earth. This kingdom... Psalm 72 is telling us, is what every other nation on earth, every other kingdom of man is longing for and trying to deliver. The prosperity of this kingdom is for all the peoples of the earth and not just for one nation or one ethnicity, And that's one of the critical connections that we Christians ought to see between God's global mission and the lingering tensions between different ethnicities of people. The arrival of the kingdom of God means that we ought to expect unity between people, a unity that the world has never seen before. this unity stems from the fact that the kingdom of God is universal in its scope. The promise and expectation of the Old Testament is that when God's kingdom comes, it will know no boundaries. No national border will set the limit for the kingdom of God. No show of military power will be able to stem the tide. There will be no rival power to the kingdom of God. And let us be clear. The kingdom of God, which has already been inaugurated because the king has come, covers every last inch of planet earth. That certainly was the Old Testament expectation and hope. In the words of our psalm today, just take a look at verse 8. May he, that is when this king comes and this true kingdom comes, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So if we believe our Bibles, we believe Psalm 72 and what it anticipates, we believe the gospels and what Jesus said he had come to deliver, then the kingdom of God, which has been inaugurated, now covers every last inch of the planet. Verse 9 speaks of the hope of the end of any rebellion against this global kingdom. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Now, that's just ancient rhetoric saying there's no rival, that there's no other power. It is now the kingdom of God and nothing else. (laughs) Now, We can read about this kind of hope and expectation for the kingdom of God, and we can say, we could say, what many Christians are tempted to say, and some do. Well, then, just look around. It seems that this kingdom clearly has not come. There's still plenty of rival kingdoms, aren't there? There's still plenty of enemies left who have not been crushed. But then again, you've got Jesus and the entire New Testament speaking to the contrary. Just recall, for instance, in light of Global Focus Sunday, what Jesus says at the end of Matthew's gospel. We call it the Great Commission. And we hear Jesus saying this to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18. You know it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, I mean, did you? Do you hear what he's saying? Jesus claims to possess absolute authority, not just over all the earth, all authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, over the entire universe. There simply is no place where Jesus does not rule. At least, that's what Jesus says. And many Christians are either embarrassed or confused about this. Some seem to be embarrassed because, again, it just doesn't look like Jesus possesses all authority. Or or if he does, it doesn't look like he's wielding that authority very well. We might even be tempted to say that the remaining racial tensions, even in our own country, is evidence enough... That the kingdom of God must not yet have come. Some say that. Other Christians seem to be confused, confident that all that the Bible says of the kingdom of God, well, it's got to be true. Uh, we believe the Bible and, influenced by years of Christian thought, are content to say that well, there is a real kingdom of God. It's really here, but it's 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 merely spiritual. You know, you know that thing that is a matter of the heart rather than the very tangible reign of Jesus over the physical and material affairs of the earth. Still yet, there are those Christians who, believing that the kingdom of God has come, are now ready to do whatever it takes to enforce their understanding of what God surely wants done. Applauding efforts, on the one hand, to stop the steal, or on the other hand, to pack the courts. yet yeah, choose which side version of Christianity you want. Recall that when Pilate asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews, Jesus' response was that his kingdom, as the ESV says, was not of this world. John 18, 36. And many have assumed that what Jesus meant was that his kingdom was, you know, it's not of this world. It's it's something entirely different than what the world means by kingdom. Take him in at face value. Some sort of maybe spiritual kingdom. In fact, I know some of you love the New Living translation, but it really botches it right here when it says that Jesus was saying his kingdom was not an earthly kingdom. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. So just, it's okay. They missed one. Because what Jesus was telling Pilate, and he makes this very clear, he uses a different word at the end of John 18, 36 that cannot be ambiguous. What Jesus was saying when he was telling Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world is that his kingdom was not from this world. In other words, its origin and quality did not come from the same source, that all other kingdoms uh, come from. In other words, Jesus, in fact, right after that, he says, if my kingdom were from this world, my servants would fight. They would cheat, steal, connive, do whatever it takes to defend this kingdom because that's how all other kingdoms do their work, all of them. But what Jesus was clearly not saying was that his kingdom did not have the same worldly destination that all other kingdoms are targeted at. And what this means is that the kingdom of God shares in common with all other kingdoms the concerns of life, life here on earth. That's why we can speak about an issue like this thoroughly from a gospel perspective, The kingdom of God is very much concerned about the things that we're concerned about, life here on on this earth, the way God intends for this world to be run. Now, of course, the kingdom of God goes beyond these concerns, and it has something to say even about what lies beyond the grave when all other earthly kingdoms have no more jurisdiction. But even then, what the kingdom of God has to say is not the hope of life eternal and the sweet by and by, but the promise of, you know this, the resurrection of the body. We just said it in the creed. And the life everlasting in the land of the living. The kingdom of God possesses the power to deal rightly and justly with all the issues that perplex us in this life. Whether it be just the problems you, you encounter, whether it be homelessness. I live right here, by, by I 44 and Penn. You get off on that exit when you're coming here. We got a problem, and nobody knows how to solve it. The power of the gospel, the power of the kingdom says there are solutions or education. You're reading your newspaper, our kids are failing educationally. In our state, in our country, and everybody's trying to figure out the, the kingdom of God comes with a power to solve the problems of education. Homelessness, education, climate change, unwanted pregnancies, racial disparities. The kingdom of God is aimed at all these issues too. And we who believe in Jesus should be clear about that. You see, the vision of Psalm 72 is that the arrival of the kingdom of God will be an attraction for all the kingdoms of the earth. Remember the queen of Sheba? Verses 10 and 11 speak again of the various monarchs. There it is. There's the the monarch of Sheba. Again, bringing gifts to the true king, falling down before him and serving him as they did in Solomon's day. But notice verses 12 to 14 tell us why they've come. They tell us why they've been attracted to this kingdom, why they fall down and worship. It is not because the kingdom of God will break in with a greater political or military power. Jesus made that clear before Pontius Pilate. God is not the next ruthless tyrant in the stage of world history to now take the throne and just force everybody into his service. Rather, look at it. Look what Psalm 72, 12 to 14 says. Here's why they come. Because, look at it, he delivers the needy when he calls. The poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. No wonder so many minorities in this country were drawn to Christianity in spite of what a majority culture often believed and proclaimed. And just imagine what it would be like if that was what was said about us and our churches today. They deliver the needy when they call. The poor and him who has no helper, they take pity on the weak and the needy, saving the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. They seek redemption for their life because precious. Is there blood in his sight? Christian, as you well know, Psalm eighty six fifteen says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So we ought to know that that is how his kingdom is as well. Would that we who claim to know the true and rightful king show a similar disposition to one another and to our neighbors. Delivering the needy, caring for the poor, having pity on the weak, saving lives. Precious is their blood. Now I'm under no expectation that we will be able to solve the problem once and for all of racial inequalities. As Christians have always believed, the full end to all injustice and oppression will come finally and fully when the Lord returns and brings his kingdom to its consummation. But on the other hand, I Remain optimistic that progress on this matter can be made, and I remain optimistic because of the reality, the present reality of the kingdom of God. And I remain optimistic because history bears it out. You don't have to go back very far. Tomorrow is the celebration of course of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday a federal holiday and all we have to do is keep in mind that the civil rights movement of the 20th century was spearheaded by the Christian conviction of our black brothers and sisters in Christ Christian conviction So as we look at the last five or six verses of Psalm 72, allow me to close this sermon with some points of direction. The kingdom of God gives direction for our lives. Yes, I know this is a controversial subject. Of course it is. But we who believe in the good news of the kingdom of God, we we get some direction from that kingdom. God has not left us without direction. Let me point a few out from this text as we close. First, let us commit first and foremost to do what our Lord told us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Say it with me if you know the verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know that verse? Now understand what it means. Several years ago, I was just like so caught up in this reality of the kingdom of God. I said, what do I do? How do I seek the kingdom of God first? Well, here's some help. Psalm 72, verse 15 says, may prayer be made for him continually. Hmm. Imagine kings on the throne You're wanting justice to come about. So you're praying for the king. Yes, so let us pray continually for the king to achieve his purpose. And remember that the entire story of the Bible is that God intends to accomplish his redemptive plan for the world through his redeemed people. So to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness at the very least means that we must begin with prayer. Certainly in private, is that how you start your day? You get your your Bible, you read a little psalm or something and you, you pray some prayer. Just the Lord's prayer will do. You don't know what else to say, just Say the words of the Lord's prayer. I I commend it to you. But praying also, of course, with one another as citizens of the kingdom. Man, what joy it was this last week to pray with so many of you during this week of prayer. I mean, my heart was just delighted to see us gathering in our missional families and praying together. You know, prayer is so easy and yet so difficult. It sure seems like we've got a lot of forces lined up against us trying to keep us off our knees. You agree with me? Perhaps the world wouldn't despise us so much when some tragedy happens and we say our thoughts and prayers are with you if we actually were praying. Perhaps, like the Queen of Sheba, they would actually come and ask us to pray. So, I'm not trying to shame anybody, but I'm just saying, why don't we at least begin there and stop neglecting prayer? Now, for what might we be praying? Okay, we're going to pray, Ben. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? Well, verse 16 gives us more direction. Look what it says. May there be abundance of grain in the land, On the tops of the mountains, may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. I guess you got lots of good fruit over there, Lebanon. And may people, look at this, I love this. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. What if, church, what if we were praying for God to make all ethnic peoples of the world blossom rather than spending so much energy telling them, in no uncertain words, to keep away. Stay away from our nation, or our neighborhoods, or our churches. What if we truly cared about the flourishing of all human beings, all civilizations, all cultures, all ethnicities, rather than turning up our noses and despising those who are different from us. That is surely what is required by the command to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I understand that we don't always get it. We don't understand other cultures or ethnicities or customs or practices. I understand it can feel awkward, it could feel weird. I also understand we don't always like it. Twice this year I've had some Christian, not not anybody at Crosstown, ask me if I thought it was possible for a Christian to vote for a Democrat. Really? Have we stopped believing the Christian confession of faith? I believe what? That you're going to vote this way? Didn't find that. Haven't found it in the creed. I've tried. Looking for it. It's not there. Have we stopped caring about what we do say? We believe in the communion of saints. The power of which is found precisely in the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the next point that I want to make from verse 17. Look what it says. May people be blessed in him. This peace and prosperity of the kingdom of God is found in only one place and only in one place. It's found in Christ. This peace and prosperity does not exist apart from him. It's not a thing out there. Peace and prosperity that really lasts, that everyone's looking for, is found in only one place. It's found in union with Christ. Which is why... For 2,000 years, it is when God's people gather together for corporate worship that this kind of unity is forged because here, when God's people assemble, there is to be none of the divisions that divide us in the world. There's There's no flag that flies here, metaphorically or literally. You can look around. That's by conviction for us at Crosstown, by the way. And yet, it is still a mark on the church, at least in the West, that this is the very place where we remain so divided. Just a little historical reflection reminds us that black churches exist because white Christians would not let them worship with them. And yet, to this day, by and large, it is African-American Christians who are vastly more committed to corporate worship than white Christians are. Do you know that? There's all kinds of unintended consequences. Ethnic churches, you know, you drive by, you see this Chinese church or a Vietnamese congregation. Ethnic churches exist because the Bible got translated into in their languages. That sounds like a good thing, and yet it's the very thing that often keeps us from joining together. Lots of problems, lots of perplexities. That's why we pray. It's not the job of minorities to come and join us, and there may be other ways for us to express our unity together. This is why we go to prayer. But then the last thing that I want you to see in verse 19, look what it says. Everybody who's been through perspectives, this verse should have caught your attention. Blessed to be his glorious name forever. Look at it. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. That's a mission verse. That's a mission verse. So as the kingdom of God is proclaimed, as the good news of God, the kingdom of God is announced to every tribe and every tongue and every people. The prayer becomes a prayer for the blossoming, the flourishing of all peoples of the earth in all places. The answer of the cry of the needy and the glory of God residing in these image bearers united to Jesus begins to shine brightly for the joy of us all. Or at least that's what the Old Testament anticipated. May God be blessed and his glory fill the earth. Yes, amen and amen. Let it be. And Jesus of Nazareth arrived proclaiming the gospel of of the kingdom. So, let us seek it first in prayer together as we begin this new year. Let us pray. Father in heaven, yeah, there's a lot of work still to be done in all of these issues. May the people of God never be content with saying, well, that's just how it is in a fallen world. Now, we... We see the brokenness, we acknowledge it. In fact, we confess it. it's in our own hearts. We did that this morning. We confess together. We have left undone what you have commanded to be done. There should be no condemnation for those who are in Christ with the reality that we remain still tied so much to the brokenness of this world. We can confess that. We can acknowledge it. We run to Jesus and find the assurance of our pardon. We don't find it in trying to justify ourselves or excuse ourselves. That's not the way of the kingdom. I remain optimistic, Lord, because your promise is that you have planted your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In the end we will see that even the smallest of gestures, even the cup of cold water offered in your name will not lose its reward. It will be resurrected in some way to be part of the eternal kingdom of God. So Lord, we ask you, please, day by day as we wake up and as we read our Bibles and say our prayers, we ask you, O Lord, to keep us centered and focused on the good news of the kingdom of God. Keep drawing us back into worship together and make, us, make the impulse of our heart be to worship and unite with all who profess faith in Christ. There's plenty of forces lined up against us, but greater is he who is in us. Greater is the one who has overcome the world. He's greater even than Solomon and he has brought the reality of the kingdom of God. So keep us hoping, keep us believing, and keep us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, working as citizens of your kingdom, a kingdom that we sang earlier cannot be shaken, cannot be overcome. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.